0: When you're a web-first company, one of the things that is challenging is driving people to your website. We rely heavily on email and also social and things like that to drive traffic. However, we realized a few years ago that we're crazy to not have a mobile app because mobile apps support these wonderful things called push notifications. And so through that, we've been able to re-engage our members and our repeat customers a lot more effectively on mobile. So now that we've proven the mobile app model, we're looking at expanding it and hopefully growing the team and investing in not just new features and in functionality, but also new customer segments.
1: Why do some companies succeed in driving growth while others fail? How do some individuals advance in their careers to lead teams that change industries? In the age of mobile, these are the stories of the companies shaping the way we interact with our world and the people who drive their growth. Hi, everyone. We're so excited to have our next guest, Heather Lind, join us on the show. Heather is currently the director of product mobile app at Textile Fashion Group. Textile is the company behind top brands like Savage & Fenty, Fablatic, Just Fab, and more. Heather's unique career trajectory includes working at every stage of the product lifecycle from design, development, lay stage, ready to sunset, and everything in between. So, so excited to have you on the show. Welcome, Heather.
0: Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here.
1: Well, let's start. Tell us a bit about yourself and the work you're doing now at Textile.
0: Yeah, happy to. So, I have been working in product and technology for about 11 years. And right now, I run the mobile app team for both Fabletics and JustFab. And I also run the product marketing team for Fabletics Web. And yeah, so love what I do.
1: So, tell us a bit about both Fabletics and JustFab. What kind of products are they? What's the difference between them? Yeah, let's start with that.
0: Yeah, so Fabletics is an athleisure lifestyle, fashion company. So we specialize in making really amazing leggings at an affordable price. And also JustFab is a different category. So it's women's fashion and primarily shoes. They started off as a shoe company and now they've gotten into uh, regular fashion as well. So it's like similar to Zara would be a good example.
1: Nice. So you manage the product for both of these. What does it entail? How big is your team? And you know, the definition of product is sometimes different from company to company. How does it look like for you?
0: So my team on the mobile app, I have, so I run both product and UX. So I have two senior product managers, one for each brand app, and then also two UX designers who are also allocated to each brand app. Then on the product marketing side, I have a more junior level product manager who in his focus is on really like. Helping out the marketing and merchandising teams with new collections launches and new categories, etc. So that's the structure of the teams. Maybe
1: let's move into the fact that you guys are mobile first. Tell us a bit about what the decision looked like. How do you think about mobile? Do you even have a website? And if you do, what's the role of the website? Let's kind of like talk about the importance of mobile.
0: Yeah, so actually, I would say we're more web first, to be honest. Oh, interesting. So we we didn't even have a mobile app until about three years ago, around the time that I joined the team. And we realized that with our subscription business, it makes so much more sense to invest in mobile and particularly in a mobile app right now. I mean, when you're a web-first company, one of the things that is challenging is driving people to your website, right? We rely heavily on email and also social and and things like that to drive traffic. However, we realized a few years ago that we're crazy to not have a mobile app because mobile apps support these wonderful things called push notifications. And so through that, we've been able to re-engage our members and our repeat customers a lot more effectively on mobile. So now that we've proven the mobile app model we're looking at expanding it and hopefully growing the team and investing in not just new features and, and functionality, but also new customer segments.
1: Interesting. That's really cool. I had heard about your app. I guess I just assumed you guys are mobile first. <laughs> so thinking about that, like, how do you measure the value of a mobile user versus a user who just uses you on the web? Do you think about that? And do you have some ways of like taking web users converting them into mobile users. Let's start with that.
0: Yeah. So our mobile app is primarily built for our current members. So we have two really important aspects to our business. One is acquisition. So new customer acquisition as a subscription company. And then the other one is making sure our members are happy and repeat purchasing with us and retaining them as members with us. So... We focused primarily on building out the mobile app for our current members. Our current members have been begging us for a mobile app. We heard them, we listened, and then we built one out. But we didn't actually include any kind of of an acquisition experience in that initial build-out. Now, what we've learned um, is that customers who are most loyal customers are the biggest fans of our mobile app. We see higher LTV on, on mobile app for customers who use the mobile app. And that's really the primary way that we measure success. And we see a lot more repeat purchases on members who use our mobile app. So they're just a lot more engaged with their membership and with our brand.
1: Very cool and very interesting. Any exciting new things that are coming up? Any new initiatives or product features that you're open to sharing?
0: Yeah, so I'm really, really excited. We are going to test out customer acquisition through the mobile app. So this is something that I've really wanted to get into. I really want to see since we've seen so such great gains in in customer lifetime value among mobile app users uh, for our current members. I'm really interested to see what happens when we actually start acquiring new customers through our mobile app and how they might behave differently. Are they more committed to us? So yeah, so we're launching that test pretty soon and I have a good feeling about it.
1: Are you focusing on specific networks or are you doing a test across all of them?
0: We're focusing on a couple of different social channels that we typically advertise in.
1: Okay, got it. Cool. I can't wait to hear how it goes.
0: Yeah, me too.
1: (laughs) So you've been a textile for quite some time. You've been a product manager for even longer than that. What's one product feature that you thought would work, but it actually didn't work and you had to sunset?
0: Yeah, that's a great, great question. So I'll take this one all the way back to my very early days here at Textile. And we, so I was tasked, this was as a product manager, I was tasked with figuring out how to pull our product catalog data from our systems and send it out to our advertising partners. And they needed to receive it in a particular format, which of course the data wasn't in that format when we pulled it out of the system. So we decided to build a tool that would hopefully the acquisition team could use to massage the data, get it into the format that they needed, because each partner had slightly different requirements. And then they could self-service and and send it out to their advertising partners. Well, the tool, I thought it came out great. We were really excited to roll it out, but our acquisition team was not excited to use it. (laughs) So and we ended up going a different direction and actually working with a third-party vendor to who had a much more robust tool than this one. So we had to let that tool go. That said, like a couple of years later, someone did find the tool randomly because it still exists. Someone found it randomly and actually reached out to me and said, Did you build this? I said, Yeah, yeah we built this together. And they were like, This is awesome. Why hasn't anyone used this? <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's so funny.
0: <laughs> but yeah, so adoption is important, right? You can build a great product and it doesn't get adopted. And you just got to let it go. It happens.
1: I think that's actually one of the biggest problems that startup founders have. And like, how do you ensure that your product will be adopted or your feature will be adopted?
0: Yeah. So I think the biggest learning from that was. I probably should have kept my stakeholders more looped in as we went along building out that tool. I think people adopt or they buy in when they're taken along along the way, even if it doesn't actually change what you ultimately build, just involving them from the beginning, I think has a big impact. Now, that's not always possible with a direct-to-consumer model. But I think when you're working, if you're like in a business-to-business environment or you're building systems for internal users, I think that that is a huge, that's a really important thing to do.
1: Yeah, I think that's very really interesting, and I think it does apply to consumers too. If you, you know, do enough market research and get them yes. at every step of the way, just because they say they'll use something doesn't mean they do. But <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, yeah, we talked about something that didn't work. On the flip side of that, how about a feature that you are very proud of that did amazing? How do you get? How did you like launch it? What was the feature, and what do you think made it so successful?
0: Yeah. So recently, just last month, we launched a new homepage on our website for our existing members. And that was exceeded all expectations, wildly successful. So really excited to see like the increase in engagement and revenue. We didn't really have a traditional homepage before. We kind of just dumped everybody on new arrivals. But our new homepage has storytelling and shoppability. And it just looks really, really great.
1: That's awesome. How do you measure the success? It looks good, and people are, but like, how? What are like some of the metrics you're looking for to say, okay, this page is actually successful?
0: Yeah, so we look at things like bounce rate. So, especially on something like the homepage, right? You, <laughs> you want people to stick around for a little while. We look at engagement with the content. So, like, click through rate to PDP, how much revenue is that page driving for the business? And um, those are the the primary ones: time on page, engagement. Then I think a really interesting difference between website and a mobile app is customers can... It's a lot easier for customers to give you direct feedback on a mobile app. They love to write app store reviews. And it's not as easy to get that direct feedback on a website, but we try to find ways to do that as well. So
1: Awesome. What cool examples. How did you... I'm curious. I think we've had other people in product on the podcast and product is a very interesting job function because it's not, I don't know people who went to school for product. So I'm curious, like about your journey. How did you get into being a product manager? And then I guess I'll have a follow-up on how did you transition to being a leader? Because I think that's one that also people struggle with.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you're right. There wasn't, at least not when I was in college, there was no major for product management. And honestly, when I was in college, I probably didn't even know what a product manager was. But I did study economics and public affairs. And I actually wanted to get into like government and fix all the world problems that that exist. I decided, but then, you know, after college ended, like many people, I needed a job. <laughs> so, so I took a job at a, at a tech startup and I started off as an implementation consultant. So I was basically building and configuring websites using our internal tools for our business clients. And when I was doing that, I've would often find that there were opportunities to improve some of these tools in some of the ways that the systems worked. So I would go to the product team and make some suggestions, and they actually started to take notice and they asked me if I wanted to join their team. So I actually started off as a business analyst, de facto product manager for the tools because there wasn't one. And that was the beginning of my product journey. I actually started more on the back end systems and tooling and then transitioned over to customer facing products because I wanted to do something different. And I also, Really developed a passion for user experience and building really fun experiences for for end users.
1: I love it. I think that's such a good way. If you have, if you take initiative and you want to go into a new job, if you just start working with that team, usually they just want you to join. So I love that. (laughs) How did you transition to becoming a leader? I think that's one thing. I think for product managers, they feel there's this gap and it's so hard to transition from being a product manager to a product leader.
0: For sure. It's funny, my manager and I were just talking about this today. <laughs> yes, the, the jump from senior product manager to director is a big one, for sure. I do think though... So the way that I transitioned in, into leadership was one, I showed interest. We do have an IC, like an individual contributor path for product managers in our organization. So you don't have to become a people manager if you don't want to, but you can still grow in, in your career. However, I expressed interest in leadership and my managers and leaders did a great job making sure that I was interested in it for the right reasons. I think that's always the first step. And I truly wanted to help others grow and become better at their jobs and help them be effective and empower them. So once I passed that test, I took some management training and then I transitioned into the director role. And then from there... I started to build out my team. So that's essentially how it went. And I think that this first couple of years in this role uh, have been just, they've been awesome. I've learned so much just about people, about product. And one of the things that I think is so incredible about being a leader is how much you actually, you learn from your team. I feel like my team teaches me so much more than I teach them. And I'm really grateful for
1: that. That's very cool. I love the story. Any advice for people who are trying to get into product or becoming leaders?
0: Yeah. Anyone who's interested in getting into product management, I think it's important to keep in mind that product management is, it's a technical job, but it is also a lot about people. So you need a really good combination of hard and soft skills. And it's not necessarily for everyone, but you also don't necessarily have to have a technical background to learn how to do it and to be good at it. It's almost a little bit of a personality thing, but I think different types of people make, are good at different things in product. So you can't be good at all of it, and that's okay. But I think that what's really important is you need to have a deep sense of empathy. And this is true for leadership as well. So your ability to really put yourself in the shoes of your end user and recognize that your end user may not be like you, right? You might be building a product for someone who thinks about the world in a completely different way. You have to be able to put yourself in their shoes. Same thing goes with leadership, right? Like you may hire an amazing team, But they're not going to do things the same way that you do it. And that's okay, right? So accepting that and just really like having a deep sense of empathy in all of the people that you work with, I think is number one on the soft skill side. On the hard skill side, Google is your friend, right? (laughs) Ask a lot of questions. (laughs) Like, so if you're talking to your engineers, ask them a lot of questions about the technology and write down any words you don't know. Google search them if they're standard. Don't make them explain everything to you, right? But anything I don't know, I can usually find on Google. And I highly recommend you just get get comfortable with that. And also get comfortable with not knowing all the answers.
1: Cool. I like that. I think that the comfortable with not knowing all the answers, it's hard for some, but I think it's a very good one.
0: Well, I think also not being afraid to ask the dumb questions is really important too.
1: Yeah. I agree with that. And I think sometimes you might think it's dumb, but actually the other person might have not even thought about it from your perspective and might see something. This has happened to me with my co-founders. I would think something's dumb and they're like, "Oh wow, you you found something that was broken." Exactly. I agree with that. And I think so many people are scared of doing that, but the good the people who end up like moving in their career are the ones who are not. So, love that that piece of advice. How do you think about building a team? So you talked a little bit about motivating a team and how to show empathy. But when you think about hiring and building a product team, how do you think about that?
0: Yeah, so I mentioned earlier that product managers come in many flavors, right? Some product managers are highly technical. Some product managers are really good at the business side of things and making data-driven decisions. Some product managers are really good with people. So it's just... I think having a diverse team where you have product managers who are good at different types of things is key. So that's the first thing that I look for. I also look for people who are scrappy, highly motivated and and inflexible, right? Like willing to abandon their ideas or preconceived notions or how they think things should be and be open to doing things in a different way. I feel that is key to success, especially in our environment, which is very, very fast paced and that's also differentiating as well right it's part of our competitive advantage is that we are we build resilient teams who are adaptive
1: that's cool and i do agree i think mobile is one of the most intense environments and most fast changing and speaking of that are there any trends or things that are coming up that you're excited to take advantage of to test out either the things that just happen trends that just happen or things that you think are going to shift and change in the next year or two
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't know if this is like a trend that I'm excited about. But with Apple's new privacy rollout for iOS 14.5, so I think that hit a lot of people pretty hard. Yeah, so I'm excited to find a good solution to that problem for our business. I don't have a lot of details on how we're going to solve that problem yet at least none that I can share. But it is something that I, I'm really... I love really difficult challenges. I live for them. So yeah, I'm looking forward to figuring out a great way to to get things back on the upswing. swing
1: We could probably help with some of it. We should talk after. We should. <laughs> so I think it's interesting. So part of it is that, but I think the other thing that I've noticed marketers are struggling right now in the market. And I just did a webinar this morning on this idea that there's a recession and marketing budgets are getting cut and there's pressure, of like, oh, your budget is much lower, but I needed to get this much more revenue or this much more pipeline in my case. I'm curious, how do you think about that? Are you making any shifts to your overall marketing strategy because of the current economic like environment?
0: Yeah, so we are definitely looking at ways to operate more efficiently, right? It's important, I think, when you're looking at an economic downturn, potential economic downturn, that you figure out okay what areas of the business can we do a little bit more efficiently i think one of the other things that we've been very focused on is like how like is ruthless prioritization right so we have a huge backlog of great ideas right but you can't execute on all of those ideas you certainly can't execute on all of them well especially when we're in a in a place where we want to stay opex neutral so i think what we have been doing or the way we have responded is is really those two things. Just figuring out what processes are inefficient and how can we make those most efficient so that our teams can be more productive. And then secondly, making sure that we're always doing the right work and the things that have the most, that are going to have the biggest impact on the business.
1: How do you measure that? How do you think about, because I think I struggle with this in my day to day. We have all these things and some bring very different value than others. Some marketing. Obviously, I work, I lead marketing. But like I always like, sometimes it's hard to prioritize if you don't have a common language. So we've been really trying to figure out what's our cross business unit common language to prioritize things.
0: Yeah. So we prioritize based on a couple of different things. So we will, prior, like there's certain things that are just going to be a, a priority, right? There's planning, since we're a fashion company, right? We plan out our physical product line, uh, like a year out, right? So there's certain things that we have to hit no matter what. So focusing on those things first, right? We've already invested in a product or a category, we're going to need to make sure that we can support that uh, when that's ready to launch. So we use things like that. We also... Another mechanism that I use, especially when we're talking about technical features, is the estimated impact, right? How do we think customers are going to engage with this? What do we, like, how much value do we think it's going to bring? It really depends on the feature, but some of these things can be forecasted. Sometimes I'll work even with our finance team to forecast, hey, what do we think the impact of something like this would be and try to put it into revenue, into dollars, and then I measure that against, well, what is the level of effort for us to actually complete this work? So anything that has really high that's revenue cool. impact, right, and very low LOE, well, that stuff's going to jump to the top of the list, right? Like it. So that's one way I do it.
1: I like it. I think that's really cool. I think the because sometimes you, things might have a, a lot of impact, but if they're like going to take a year to do, yeah, I love the mix of the two and the matrix. So we've got to know you better. We uh, learned a little bit about your work, some things that you did that your work really well, how you're thinking about the current economic downturn. I'm curious about you personally. We learned how you got into product, but what's one thing that you think people wouldn't find if they look for you on LinkedIn that's cool and maybe kind of impacts your work or leadership style?
0: Yeah, so I was a child actress, actually. Wow. Yeah. Okay, that's cool. <laughs> Yeah, so I acted from age four to age ten. So for about six years and it was real. I mean I was going on several auditions per week, spent a lot of time driving around Hollywood and worked quite a bit actually. So I think that was really good experience for me because for one, I think it has contributed to my work ethic. I work really, really hard. I know acting is a hard job. I know it looks easy, but it's actually a lot of work. Does
1: not look easy. <laughs>
0: And then also just memorizing scripts. Like I I learned how to read really early because I had to read all of these scripts and memorize my lines before every audition. Because as as a four-year-old, you can't bring a script in and read off of it. So I think that helped me a lot with just speaking clearly, presentation skills. I know I still have work to do there, but I feel like it helped a lot with like my confidence and how I talk to people.
1: Why didn't you stay in acting? I always (laughs) wonder that. I'm just, I don't know, I'm just curious.
0: I wanted to play sports and have a life like with friends after school. And I think that was the tough thing. I couldn't commit to any kind of activity that was happening after school because I had to be free for auditions because a lot of times you get called to audition last minute and you have to go. So that was one of the reasons I ultimately decided to back out of it. But every once in a while, I think about dabbling in it again.
1: Nice. Cool. Well, awesome. We usually end with three kind of random questions to get the audience to get to know you better. And we just want to end on a fun note. So question number one, if you had to delete all the apps on your phone and you could only keep one, what would you keep?
0: (laughs) I would keep WhatsApp. I use that all the time. It's like my lifeline to the world.
1: (laughs) I love it. Are are you an extrovert?
0: You know, it's funny. I've taken the Myers-Briggs test a couple of times. First time I was way up there, extrovert all the way. Second time I took it, several years later, I was actually more of an introvert.
1: Were you stressed at the time? (laughs)
0: No. So I have a hypothesis about this. (laughs) I think, so I'm a mom and I think once you have kids, you're like downtime is your alone time. And so I think that's why I scored higher on the introvert scale.
1: (laughs) I had the similar thing, but it was after founding Branch, I became an introvert because I was so tired and stressed and I really wanted my alone time versus before I was like, where are the people? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> okay, if you had an app that allowed you to talk to an animal, what would you pick?
0: Oh, definitely dolphins. I bet they have a lot of interesting things to say.
1: <laughs> cool. I don't think anyone has said dolphins before. So, really? Yeah, very cool.
0: Yeah, they're highly intelligent. I'm kind of obsessed with the ocean. And so I'd like to know what... what I feel like they could tell me just a lot about what's going on down there.
1: Cool. And then what's one unlikely app on your phone that I think your friends would be a little surprised?
0: You know, it's funny. I have a lot of apps on my phone, as you might imagine, because I run an app team. So (laughs) there are several, several apps. But I think the one that's most surprising is... I have the NFL app on my phone and I'm not really big into sports, but I was on an airplane during the Rams playoff game where they had that really crazy win and I wanted to watch the game from the plane. So I downloaded the NFL mobile app and I used, and I actually really liked it. I remember being really surprised. I wasn't, I had very low expectations as to how good of an app it would be. So I didn't delete it. I kept it and I still actually use it every once in a while.
1: Wow. That's cool. That's a good story. (laughs) Well, Thank you so much, Heather. We loved having you with us today. I feel I learned a bunch of new things and definitely got to know you better. So thanks for your time. Thanks for being on the show.
0: All right. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, please leave a review wherever you listen to this and share with someone trying to grow their career. Until next time, keep growing.